Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Welcome back, Glenn. It's been another long uh, break, but we're, we're raring to go recording a whole bunch of, of shows here over the next little bit. Why don't we start off with the where in the world? Sure. All right, Eric. I'm pretty sure you're going to get this one. I think these are going to be fairly easy for you, but we'll see see how listeners do anyway. So hold your answer till afterwards. Okay. So this is a fairly large country, one of the larger countries in the top 10 with 26 million people in the country. Okay. One of the most interesting facts about the country, though, is that 90% of the people in the country live on the coast. So that's that's. I have. I, I think I already know. <laughs> I already yes. Know it. Yeah. Uh, but keep that, going. That's, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Another aspect of this country is they have one of the largest ecosystems. 80% of their animals are unique to this country, can only be found in this country. They have a national animal, which they also hunt and eat for sport, which I thought was fascinating. <laughs> and finally, their bears have friction ridge skin that is similar to humans' friction ridge skin and most often approximates arch patterns. But also, you can find some loops and whorls. I am talking about? That'd be Australia. That would be Australia, yes. And as you know, and as we'll talk about, I was just in Australia. But I think you still would have gotten it, even even had you not known that I was there, I think you still would have would have gotten that one. Yeah, yeah. I think the everyone living on the coast and kind of the, the, the population range, right, where yeah. it's it's, it's, you know, it's big, but it's not like crazy big, you know, fraction of, you know, it's kind of the population of a, of a big U.S. state, not, um, yeah. you know, not of a, a full-on country. Uh, yeah, half the US population country. of California, yet the size of the United States. The entire country right. is about the size of the United States. And 90% of the population live all along the coast. That's so bizarre. That means the entire central portion, it would be like from Nevada to Tennessee – is just barren, empty land. It's well, crazy. You, I mean, you no river, right? And then that's that's what you get. Yeah, um, that's right. With a giant rock in the middle, uh, right about where Iowa would be. You mentioned the the koala bears and their friction rich skin. Yeah, I think the craziest thing is their their weird double thumb. Yes, that is the just some freaky deaky. <laughs> it just looks like it's just wrong. It's I think one of the more alien hands or hooves or any kind of, I don't know, end of the limb of, of any animal. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll talk about this probably a little bit in the episode that there was a great presentation about the friction ridge skin of koalas at the, at the oh, conference cool. I was at, and I'm hoping to get as a guest speaker on a future episode. So I'll, I'll fill you in on that in a little bit. We've got, a, we've got a, a, a lot of things to talk about. And for listeners, this is a catch-up episode yes. for Eric and I. Eric had a crazy crazy fall schedule your <laughs> schedule was mad mine was crazy too but i think yours was probably worse because you were traveling so much every week different states different conferences and so we're gonna just kind of catch up a little bit and share a few stories from the road but you were going to uh, probably tell us a little bit about some patrons and patronage yeah. and why that's important yep yeah, just want to thank some new patrons on for patreon.com double loop podcast so you know, big thanks to Jonesta, Ashley, Anna, Alex. And in case I missed anyone from before, 
you know, thanks also to Don, Nat, and Jeremy. Definitely appreciate all the patrons that throw us a buck or two, and it definitely helps us out do so much stuff. Hosting all these audio files, hosting the webpage, but then also now you're getting out to conferences, making spreading the word even further, doing fun shirts and stuff. And so you know, we've got some merchandise on wpodcast.com. I saw the Michael White while I ah. was in Australia. We we had a nice chat over a beer. It was nice to catch up with him. He actually asked exactly about the website and merchandise and yeah. so forth. And I went, yeah, that's an Eric and Becca thing. <laughs> well, you, you'll have to talk to them. I didn't have any information totally. for him. <laughs> but I have a patronage story for you that I think you're going to find interesting. This happened in oh. Australia. And it ties right into with what you're talking about. So okay. first, I'm going to ask you if you know who Sheila Willis is. Do you know the name um, Sheila Willis? She's not a fingerprint examiner, so you it might not be a familiar name. No, it's not ringing a bell either. Okay. So, so Sheila Willis, I met some years ago. She's a very famous DNA analyst. She's okay. from Ireland, and she's responsible for introducing DNA databasing to the country of Ireland. Oh. And she's well known for academic contributions, and she's very scholarly. I think she graduated from the University of Dublin, if I recall, but she's at the University of Dundee right now in Scotland, which was my alma mater, sort of, where I did my internship. So it's kind of fun to have this little connection with her. And Famous for their crocodiles, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. Good one. Anywho, Dundee, Scotland. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. And there is obviously a big UK connection in Australia. But sure, sure. Put, putting that aside. So anyway, I was at this conference in Australia, and I saw Sheila. She had come up to me, and she was basically asking about a couple of things. I'm like, how do you know that, Sheila? <laughs> and she's like, I listen to the podcast. Oh, and, wow. I, and I looked at her and went, get out of here. You do not listen to the, our podcast. She's like, no, no, I, I do. And uh, she wanted to know about what do you get if you're a patron, and why, sh why become a patron? And perfect, right, for, for this intro. Sure and I thing. said, well, one of the most important things is you have access to older episodes. Yes. We archive a lot of older episodes and other material. We have material on there for fingerprint examiners where you and I do comparisons and some other special access stuff and images and files and folders and cases that you can't get to from the regular homepage. So that that's why, plus uh, it, I was mentioning it, as you did, it, it goes towards other costs and overhead for the show. And, you know, even a single dollar, and I believe that's the minimum, that would allow you access to that. So, you know, you're talking $12 for a year, a dollar a month. That would be more than enough to access the Patreon page. And then she asked how to do that, and I went, oh, that's an Eric thing. Uh, I'll have to... <laughs> ask Eric. I mean, I know there's a way to do it, but I'm I'm just not as familiar with it. Well, so super easy. Just just type into Google Patreon Double Loop Podcast. It just the first result comes right up. Or if you want to type it all out, you know, patreon.com slash double loop podcast. And then become a member. And and there you go. That's that's the <laughs> it's just that easy. Perfect. Well one of the things too that it occurred to me, and again, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, was there this conference in Australia, there were a lot of my old friends and colleagues, and one of my 
mentors, Pierre Margot, was mm. there. Cool. And he was giving some presentations and speeches and history lessons. And it just occurred to me, you know, of course, one of our earlier episodes, episode 12, is a interview with Pierre Margot. It's one of my favorite ones where I got to sit down with him in his office and just kind of talk to Pierre and get his insight, which is very similar to what he was providing at the conference. But, of course, that is one of our older episodes, and it's behind the Patreon wall. So if you'd like to hear the Pierre Margot interview, which I think all forensic scientists should listen to that one, <laughs> become a Patreon member. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you that that was one of the most startling things was the number of people talking to me about the podcast in Australia, <laughs> fingerprint examiners and, and others who were listening to the podcast all around the world. And it was just mind-blowing. I tell you, the, the folks down in Australia, they they – if there's something that's like, you know, brand new, cutting edge, you know, no one else is doing it or everyone else is going to be doing it in five to 10 years, it seems like it's starting in Australia with fingerprints, with APHIS, you know, really that's, you know, obviously a big yeah. focus of me for right now. They are just so imaginative as in, in always asking, all right, what, what else can we do with this? And yeah, it's great to see them, you know, pushing things forward towards seeing how much they can get out of the technology. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, I'll echo that theme in a little bit, too. So tell me a little bit about uh, what were you doing in October, man? Or, well, let's, let's start with October. How, so, how was your October? I mean, so we saw each other in August, right at the end of August, right? In, oh, geez, where were we? Oh, Maryland, right? Yes. <laughs> and then uh, lots of prep work to get ready for the Idemia Users Conference, which was right. in San Antonio this year. At the end of September, so fantastic week on the Riverwalk. You know that's it's just a fun little town to be in. You know, walking around all the places there is to to see on the Riverwalk. And, can I, can uh, I share a tiny, quick, oh, yeah, little please. anecdote with you? Every time I think of the Riverwalk in San Antonio, because there are all those <laughs> Tex-Mex restaurants there. Sure. It's funny because the last time I was there with Cedric Newman, who's Swiss and sometimes mixes up little, you know, American phrases, he kept referring to it as Mextex food. And I just kept giggling every time. He just kept referring sound to funny it as that way. Mextex. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, we even had one of the, the evening events, a, bar a barbecue inside the grounds of the Alamo. Oh, um, wow. The crazy thing in there is you walk around and see all these exhibits, right? It's like, you know, all these guns and, and uniforms and books and writings of, of Santa Ana and, and, you know, everyone else. And it kind of took me a second to figure it out, but almost everything in this like little museum area is listed as, you know, being provided courtesy of the Collins collection. Mm, mm. Do you know anything about the Collins collection? Just Bootsy Collins, but I assume that's a different different Collins. Yeah, different or Collins. Slightly more famous. No, I mean, slightly. <laughs> Phil Collins. Oh, Ever I, I would have made a joke about Phil <laughs> Collins because that's the next most famous Collins that comes to mind. But, uh, oh, okay. Like, like evidently, he's this huge Alamo history buff, and he owns, like, <laughs> that is all sorts of crazy historical artifacts from 19th century Mexico and Texas. And All right. yeah, I would a lot of it is just on display there in the, the museum. Yeah. Uh, okay, so All right. that yes. was September. Then it was off to the... the, the um, New England? 
No, I think first was Cherokee, North Carolina. So that was one of the more remote locations for a regional <laughs> IAI conference. It would take two planes and then drive for an hour to get to the casino out there. So just massive facility because it's just a big casino sure. on the western end of North Carolina. But it was a tri-division conference. So folks from Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia all came in. So it was you know, a pretty big conference. Just a different kind of place for a conference. I think it's the last time I was at a casino. Well, the Reno one was, was at a casino. Years ago, I went to an Illinois division conference, which was in Joliet at like this casino. That's kind of the only thing left in Joliet because everything else is abandoned. <laughs> After the Blues Brothers left, the no, I, nothing else there? The entire time I was there, <laughs> I was thinking, that was almost 10 years ago now, but I was thinking Blues Brothers the whole time as well. <laughs> Julia Jake. Uh, <laughs> boy, we are a product of the 80s, aren't we? Um, yeah, we're all over the map today. <laughs> but this is us catching up. This is what we exactly. talk about over a beer. And then we usually argue about what year it came out, and then that we're both off by one, and it's the one. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> so yeah, that was a great conference and it's great to just have that combination where you can just have all these agencies come together from a whole region, which very similar the next week up in New England to New Hampshire, where it was just like a hotel, right? The, the conference was in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is oh, uh, just Nashua. north yeah. of um, Boston. Yeah. And the conference was at the, the Sheraton Nashua, which you think... Sure, it's just a Sheraton, right? Every town's got a Sheraton. And then you roll up, you type in everyone listening, Sheraton, Nashua. It's a castle. There's a, <laughs> a freaking like medieval castle in the middle of, well, middle of, I guess, at the southern end of New Hampshire with a nice little pond in the front. And and I can only imagine the backdrops for like wedding photos and stuff. Anyway, it was, it was fantastic just having a conference in a castle. Yes, I, I'm looking at a picture. It's it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Yes, there's that's like exact. That's what it looks like—a castle. You know, there's like crenellations at the top of the walls, like you, people archers are shooting out <laughs> in between them or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this place? But that was that was great, and it's been a, quite a few years since I was at a New England conference. So, all sorts of faces. You know, JD being one. Got to spend a lot of time with JD. He, he used to work with me in Arizona. We were on the Arizona IAI group together. And then, you know, he moved out to the East Coast. So a lot of catching up with him and, and just a bunch of other folks from the New England area. So I also was in New England in October. Or no, I take that back. And maybe it was early November. No, it was, yeah, early November. Okay. But it, so just a little bit after you, a few weeks, I was there with Carrie Hall and Brendan Max. Oh, right. Class. In the New England area, which is west of Boston, and I, I love, I love New Englanders. I love the whole New England area. I, I really do. I love their accent and I love their attitude, and I, I love I hate, I hate the Patriots and their sports teams and the sports fans, but I appreciate their passion. But I, I really, I really enjoy interacting with with those people. And while we were there teaching, we had a chance to run, uh, meet up with Lisa Steele, a oh, long-time yeah. listener of this show. We've interviewed her before. She's an attorney, an appellate attorney in the area. So it was nice to catch up with Lisa as well. Yeah, I, I, I didn't catch up with her this time. I was, in, I was in Boston a year or two ago, 
and got to catch up with her then at, at that for that time I was out there. This is, you know, kind of early October. The leaves, Glenn, oh my goodness, the mm-hmm. leaves changing was just that, that drive back from, from Nashua to, to, to the airport, you know, right in the kind of mid-afternoon, just nice overcast sky and, and just all the different colors. Uh, yeah, stunning. A little still on the green side because it was, you know, earlier in October, but stunning. Well, normally they would be changing. This was an unseasonably warm year. This was a very bizarre. I had green grass until literally a couple of weeks ago. It's just now starting to brown. Mm. Normally it is brown in November. I've had green grass all the way up through Thanksgiving. It's bizarre. All right. So then just a week or so, a week or two after New England, then we did something here together. You you flow, flow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you flew all the way down to to Phoenix so we could go on the great Arizona treasure hunt. Yes, like we did last year, we had another team of six people in a minivan uh, participating with, what, 70, 80 other teams on this massive puzzle-solving, puzzle-hunt, scavenger-hunt-ish kind of sort of thing that we did before. It's awesome. I I... I'm now making this an annual thing. I, I love it. I love it so much. We did worse than last year. Um, mm-hmm. So we have definitely some room for improvement. Uh, we've got some ideas. I do have some ideas. <laughs> yes, I've I'm heard gonna, your ideas. I'm building a statistical model for this. <laughs> and I'm sure there's some people that are, are saying to themselves, of course Glenn is building a statistical model for this this game. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And... It's a combination of being like ecstatic that you figured something out, kicking yourself that you didn't figure it out, or rolling your eyes and saying, "How could anyone figure this out?" Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, that's that's a that's a great way to describe it. And, but yeah. again, it was another team effort where I felt like we all contributed and all yeah. were able to, you know, had have we not all contributed something, a couple of them I don't think we would have solved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just like last year. Just like mm-hmm. last year. No, there's a, a game show that is kind of a puzzle-solving one. I think you'd really like it in case you've never heard of it. It's it's a British show called Only Connect. Okay. Do you know Victoria Corin Mitchell? Does that name sound familiar at all? No, David is she Mitchell? a game analyst? No. Anyway, she's a comedian and host, and it's a kind of a, what's connection? What's the thing that connects these four things? Okay. What's the next in the sequence? And there's a, actually a a New York Times puzzle game on their website called Connections. That's also very similar. You're given 16 words and you have to figure out how to group them into four groups of four. Mm. It, it's right up your alley, Glenn. I think you're, you're, yeah. you're going to love that game, the New York Times game and this show. All right. So let's see. Next was the, the next day after Wrapping up the couple hours after wrapping up that treasure hunt, I was off to Orlando for the the Florida Division Conference. A great conference. Always always a very fun conference. They they always put on a, a great show. They do. And they try to make it over over Halloween so that they can hmm. have a, a costume night. So uh, is that, that, is that was, what you did? That absolutely happened this year. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about it last year. I went as... Well, not a specific one, but a generic mystery science theater passenger, you know, with the jumpsuit and the badge and the gizmonics. This year, you know, I switched up the reference and went as Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) Uh, Again, for listeners, if they haven't seen Eric, 
He has a striking <laughs> resemblance. Just look at Eric's professional headshot and compare that to a picture of Napoleon Dynamite. Pretty spitting image. Yeah, I try. I, I tried to kind of mess up the hair a little bit to make it look a little curlier, and I had a wig, but decided, ah, don't, don't, I don't think I need the wig. I don't think. But you uh, do. but went, you know, got some bigger glasses, and I'm not sure how I feel about this because as soon as I came down the elevator and walked out, uh, the first person who saw me just pointed and said, "Perfect," and then the second person I saw looked at me, pointed and said, "Perfect," <laughs> like. <laughs> Hmm, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but it was a great night. It was a lot of fun. And one of the other vendors in the vendor hall, I'm not sure if the vendor or sponsor or what, but they did like, they, were, they provided dog training. Mm. Um, I think that's what their, their main kind of deal is. But they brought in a bunch of dogs as like therapy dogs just to kind of wander around the vendor hall. And on Halloween, most of the dogs were in some sort of costume. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, which is that's really cute. Cool. There was an Irish wolfhound. Holy, that's a big dog. I think they said it was like 180 pounds. That was just a big, big, I mean, my dog growing up as a kid was a Black Lab, German Shepherd, St. Bernard mix. It was a big dog, but still, this was a big dog. Mm. And I heard you also hosted a, a costume party as well. Yeah, Idemia was the was the host of the of the costume party that night, so... You know, worked with one of the salespeople that was there to pick a winner of the of the costume contest. And did, did you get to pick the winner? We we worked together, me and the salesperson, to you know, all right, bring up some people that looked really good, and then did the whole you know hand above the head, have the audience cheer, and then uh, you know pick the person with the loudest cheer. And what was the winning costume? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Okay. The I was well, I was sitting next to a guy who came down from New York that was dressed as Ted Lasso. Oh. That was a pretty good one, but he didn't win. And it was funny because he's sitting next to me, and I'm I'm looking, I'm talking with him, and all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, that's a fake mustache. I had talked with him earlier in the day, and it just the mustache looked just so natural on him that I I, I didn't even pick up that it was a tape on. Well, that's good. That's, just that's really good. One of those guys that has like a face that, you know, that, where a mustache works for that, for that face. Sure. Well I, well, I mean, as you know, Halloween's one of my favorite yes. holidays. Yes. And I, you know, always kind of get in, in, into it and usually do a costume and a costume contest every year and so forth. And uh, this year was pretty fun as well. I was able to go to a costume contest and entered into the contest. I only got third place, though. Only third. Oh, I mean, you're on the metal stand, right? You're yeah. on the metal stand, so you're right. You know. I bronzed I exactly. Bronzed. Well, so what were your what was your costume this year? I know you've done uh, different prosthetics in the past. Did you go down that road uh, again? I did. I did a lot of makeup and prosthetics, and I did old school Green Goblin and came in third place. Like old school, like the Tobey Maguire old school, or old school like seventies old school, seventies eighties Spider Man Green Goblin, third place. Yes. Nice. Very nice. What were the first or second? Do you remember? Yeah, I think the second one, let's see. So the second place one was a was a Bob Ross lookalike. Oh. And the first place was, I think, a Disney character, if, if I remember correctly. We had a, a Bob Ross down in Florida as well. And yeah, it turned out really well. Um, oh, what, what place did, did that Bob Ross come in? I think that Bob Ross was also second... <laughs> Oh, Second place. Yeah. She had a little 
you know, the big wig and then uh, palette and paintbrush. And it was a really good costume. And, and who was your first place? I want to say that the first place one was a Grinch. It might have been third. Yes. No, it is. You're right. It, that's, yes, that's right. Grinch. Correct. Was a Grinch for you too? Yeah. Yeah. Were we at the same party? That's crazy. <laughs> that, that, that we both had a Grinch and a Bob Ross, and I think they both won prizes there. That's Yeah, interesting. And But you don't remember your third place contestant. Well, it was, definitely wasn't Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, your third place was a Green Goblin. No, no. No, it definitely was not a Green Goblin. Oh, it definitely was. Oh. Wait. It's starting to click. It is starting to click. It's starting to click. I <laughs> uh, Now we're going to have to tell this story in reverse for the listeners because <laughs> Eric is having a moment where it's all starting to come into place. And he's now remembering everything about his party. So for listeners, while Eric is now stunned and thinking about things, normally <laughs> I don't get to go to the Florida conference because I'm always involved in stuff here in Minneapolis. I was able to make it down to Florida for their conference, and I went in costume as the Green Goblin, and nobody knew it was me. In fact, Eric sat next to me for a while and, I did. Uh, and never realized it was me. <laughs> and you, at some point, we even talked very briefly and never, never picked up that, uh, that, that it was me. That is, oh my God. <laughs> I will um, now send you pictures showing you that was me, Eric. You gave me third place, or you gave me the third place prize as the Green Goblin. Oh my God, that's that is uh, I'm because <laughs> so <laughs> Bill Shade asked me, you know, if if I knew that Glenn was in town, and so I, I said no, I I I hadn't heard that. Yeah, Bill so wait, almost did ruined you, it. Did you fly directly from Phoenix to no. Orlando? Okay. No, I flew from Phoenix to Minneapolis, and I left on Monday. You left oh, okay. on Sunday. Yeah. Had, so I had one extra day because I had to come home and get all my costume equipment, all my makeup, and all my <laughs> prosthetics and everything to come to Florida. So I only came in just to kind of hang out right, with right. people, and I was actually going to Universal Studios as well. I had a friend at the conference, and we were going to Universal Studios. She right. had never been Universal Studios, so we did that one day. So I didn't even go to the conference. But I got a call or an email from Bill a couple of weeks before the conference. He's like, hey, are you coming to this? Yeah. I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, oh, I, I see everyone who registered you know, yeah. in the rooms. I'm like, oh, don't tell Eric. He doesn't know I'm coming. <laughs> and So then – I think it might have been the day after the the costume conference contest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the next day. He he asked me about that, and then he even came up and asked me a second time. So he heard from Glenn. I'm like, I mean, he explained the whole thing that you had gotten a room, yeah. and that he had seen it on the list because he's you know works on with the conference. And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm thinking in my head, you know, good on Glenn, you know, getting a good deal on a <laughs> on a room at the conference rate, but. I was, I'm thinking, hey, if Glenn wants to, you know, come hang out, have, go on vacation in Florida, you know, he doesn't have to call me up. That's, you know, I had no idea that you were sitting next to me for half the night. <laughs> and what is weird is, I mean, we were in these little circles and I was talking to people all night long and 
they never knew it was me. In fact, there are going to be listeners to this episode who are like, I talked to him for 20 minutes, and I, don't, I didn't realize that was Glenn. <laughs> there Ellen, was... if they asked me my name, I said my name was, of course, Norman Osborne, Norm, <laughs> and nobody picked up on it. Now, there... there was one person who was like, no, your name's not Norman Osborne. I think I know who you are. And if you know this person, it'll make a lot of sense. She's one of the most intuitive people I ever met. And I said, you know, she said, give me, give me three guesses. And she said, Glenn Langenberg. And I was like, son of a bitch. How did you get that? And she, it's, it was Haria, if you know Haria. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, she's one of the most intuitive people I've ever met. She knew instantly just by my mannerisms. You know what? I, it, it took me until this moment to, to like envision, right? Because you say that, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But now I kind of took a moment, I paused, and I actually like pictured that costume. And yep. then the person in that costume. Yeah. And the whole night, I was thinking to myself, who is in the Green Goblin costume? And why are they just standing, not talking to anybody? <laughs> At the time, I was even thinking, it seems like someone crashed our party. Uh, because, I wondered if people would think that. Because I, it was, I was like getting like these some weird, creepy vibes off of the person who's just not talking to anybody. Yes. And... <laughs> and now it it is all wow that is yeah so in our little chat i'll send some photos of us next to each other hanging out in the same photo and you're oblivious it's i've been i've been holding on to this story forever to tell this it's story been like Eric. a month yep yeah it's been a month but i finally got to share and i thought as soon as i said i came in third place for green goblin you were gonna go well that's weird uh, we had a Green Goblin who was in third place in our contest. It's even better that I didn't remember and it had to go That's, through this whole thing. It is almost yeah. better. Yes. Yeah. Totally, totally bizarre. It's, it's the greatest magic trick, Glenn. Yes. It's, but it's, it, and then he was there, right? <laughs> yes. Convincing the devil that he doesn't exist. Exactly. All right, so yeah, so that's oh, a, that, that was my little uh, my little sharing story for you. That that was the highlight of my Halloween was punking one of my best friends and co co podcasters. Well, I I hope you had fun at Harry Potter Land. It was great. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, I had not actually seen uh, both of those. I think when I had last time I was there, they really only had the one open, or I didn't see the other one. So this was an opportunity to ride some of the new rides that. Mm. Either weren't available or I just, you know, hadn't seen before. And so I was able to ride some rides, which I now realize is over my 50s, I don't need to be on roller coasters. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a young man's game. Yeah. That's, we went about a little over a year ago, summer before last, to the one in California. So it was just cool even just seeing the, the light show at the end of the night. Yeah, I didn't see that. Oh, no? Of it. it was really yeah. cool. Yeah, I I assume they had it, but I guess I didn't see that we were trying to ride as many things before the park closed. Yeah. All right. Well, did you go <laughs> anywhere else in November? Well, right. That was my big trip was down under in Australia. And well, yeah, I actually had a bunch of small little trips. I was I went here for a couple of days and yeah. there for a couple of days and testimony and in and out. But the big trip was down to Australia where I, I was down there for about 10 days or so, and I went with my son, my 19-year-old son. And, you know, it's a very long flight from oh. Minneapolis. It's 
four hours to LA and then 16 hours from Los Angeles. So it's, it's, a, you know, it takes a 24 hours to get there. Yeah. And once we got there, we stayed at a place called Bondi Beach, which is it's funny. Uh, they have some jokes about their Bondi Beach, which is kind of like a, like their Baywatch thing, like their Bondi Beach Patrol is like a, a Baywatch thing. Mm, but okay. it's these gorgeous beaches with these amazing, really tall waves, a little impressive because I was trying to get out there and do a little bit of boarding and such. And it was, oh, okay. It was a little above my skill level. I had to come way into the shore. These waves were 10, 12, 15 feet oh, tall. Cool. And like, okay, that's, uh, I am not ready for that. <laughs> but it was really cool. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. I, Australians are so much fun. They're such great people. They they have a lot of American traits to them. It's like if you took America and the UK and smashed them together in a blender, you would have what feels like Australia. And I it's I I still want to go at some one point here soon. I just got to plan it out, and hopefully, there's another conference here coming up soon to to put in the next few years. Sure. Yeah, they're they're going to have another big one in two years in yeah. Melbourne. Which oh, okay. I'm going to try to get back to. I think that'll be a good one to get to. But this conference was in Sydney, and we were basically in Sydney the whole time. My son and I, we rented like a little apartment thing. And there was this major conference called IAFS. It's the International Association of Forensic Science. And it's basically a, a tri-annual conference. Every three years, they will have this conference in a different city. And it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be like September... 2020. And as you can imagine, September 2020, that did not happen. <laughs> and so the president of this, who serves three years, had to do another three years. So he's had a six-year reign as president of this organization, and he was very glad it was all over. There's this great connection to the University of Lausanne in Switzerland, my, my alma mater for my PhD, where you've got Pierre Margot, who's this Kind of, he's called the godfather of the program. He's sort of this well-known historical, you know, legend in forensic science. And then he had several very famous students who went on to become professors. You'll probably know these names: Claude Roux, R O U X, and Chris Leonard. Both of them were at Lausanne, and Claude was the president of the IAFS. And then their students, you might recognize Christophe Champo and his wife Tasha Champo and many, many others from the University of Lausanne. And then they had their students who were also there as well. So it was like four or five generations of students and myself and Heidi Eldridge being under Christoph. So you had this generation of Lausanne folks that were all coming in to kind of celebrate Claude's tenure as IAFS president and then finally giving up that mantle. And so it had a very... Lausanne-like feel to a lot of the lectures and the quality. You had UTS, which is University of Technology Sydney. They have a great program. They had some of the best presentations and speakers as well. It was just really good research, great presentations, great posters. I, I enjoyed a lot of what I saw down there. And it felt very different than the IAI, uh, frankly. And it was nice because some of the IAI bigwigs were there, including the current president, and uh, some other folks um, from the board of directors were there. And it was nice because you kind of get to see, like, 
this very academic research oriented. And as you said, like blue sky technology, what can we do if we allow, you know, anything? There is a, a great presentation uh, from Victoria Police where they were doing their lights out APHIS right from the crime scene. I'm sure you're very familiar with, with that process that they have where they're taking photographs of Leighton's epicene getting instant feedback from an APHIS system and using this as investigative leads and basically doing great lights out APHIS technology. Just incredible. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, a feature that we've been working on here you know, recently to you know make available to a wider group of, of agencies. But a lot of the stuff that, uh, that they did, I think that was the Queensland Police Services, was they, they did a lot of that just in-house, right? They just, on their own... <laughs> Like, yeah, just started hooking stuff up to see what, 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 what they could do. It's just so great when they, when you can partner with vendors to do stuff, but then also start dreaming big and you have the backing of management to just start, start plugging stuff in together and seeing, you know, how it can help out. Yeah. And then a big part of what they did, I think that was, that really is key to making that all work is that the training and the equipment that they provide their crime yes. scene staff. Yes, they really invest in their crime scene folks. Oh, and my that, goodness. That is really impressive. Like you said, training, equipment, resources, it's really impressive. You will never get a photograph of a latent or a shoe impression or anything that's like out of focus, not you know perpendicular, it's like off-center or you know, too far away. That is never going to happen with anyone you know, going to a crime scene down at, with that agency. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're fully digital. Like everything is a digital process. They're not lifting, making lifts at crime scenes. They're photographing at crime scenes, uploading it, and then it can go right into a a workflow queue. Yeah. And then documentation, all digital. And, and they've actually, they've had agencies doing digital workflows for over, you know, 15 years there. I remember in 2007, I was blown away by how fully digital certain units were back in 2007. So like you said, they're really leading technology and, hey, anything's possible. Let's try it and see. Yeah. And it's, it's really an impressive environment. And I, I, I give them credit. Absolutely. I, I, if, if only every other you know, agency, yeah. country, government could invest as much as they have in their forensics units. Sure. Yeah, and because this is an international conference, I think there are like 50 or 60 countries that were represented there. So you really got a great flavor on what's going on all over the world right now and so many wonderful connections with people in different countries. Um, Some of my friends from Brazil were there, Mm. beautiful people, wonderful people. They're just – I love the Brazilians. They're just the nicest, most generous people, and they bring such authentic – sincerity to you know just to everything it was really nice seeing those people there and again all of my swiss friends and oh it was just it was a it was a really good time it it felt not only like you had this academic thing but the yeah. australians really do a great job on the social side as well having these wonderful social evenings they also which i'd forgotten about they had a costume party and i would have brought a costume but i forgot to so i had to get one locally and it, wasn't as wasn't as good as one I would have done on on my own. But sure. they had a winner. Their winner was a green goblin from the nineteen. 19- no, I'm kidding. Their their winner was the Mandalorian, a guy who oh. had a three D printed 
the entire Mandalorian wow. costume. Yeah, it was really impressive. He couldn't see or hear for shit, but <laughs> it, it was great. It was a really good. Like everyone was getting photo ops with him. It was it was pretty cool. That's awesome. He was alien space themed, and then their evening, like their big end banquet, was at Luna Park in Sydney, which is near the Opera House. Uh, Luna Park is this bizarre amusement park from the early 20th century, you know, that had its heyday in the 20s and 30s. It's good old-fashioned nightmare fuel. It's like creepy clowns from the 20s, and <laughs> it's some really creepy, but fu- but kind of cool and different. And like it roller has coasters other... where you have to, like, sit on burlap sacks to go over slides and stuff, that kind yes. of old school? No, there was a burlap sack slide that my son and I rode, and it was so much fun. It was really steep. Yeah. I, I mean, like... <laughs> It was a straight drop, probably 80 degrees, and it was a little scary because my, I, I, was, I was not expecting it to be as fast and crazy as it was. They had a very different take on safety back then. <laughs> there, in fact, yeah. there was this one thing in the funhouse where the boards start moving when you walk on them, and there's no warning. And I, I was nearly thrown off balance, and I just kept thinking, oh, in the U.S., this is just this is just a lawsuit. You could never get away with this. Yeah. I mean, especially if you had any movement issues at all, or were slightly. It wasn't like someone was standing there going, "Oh, dude, you're a little too old. You don't you don't want to be on this." If you throw your hip out, I mean, oh no, there was no warning, and the board start moving, and I was literally like fighting for my balance, and I just thought, "Wow, yes, yeah, safety was way different in the twenties." That's nuts. Good times. Burlap sack slides. And so, anyway, I, I had such an amazing time socially, academically, and it was just wonderful catching up with everyone. I have, for us, Eric, a list of probably at least 10, maybe 12 different people who want to come on the podcast. I go. would go up to some of the presenters and go, hey, I really love this. And they were like, oh, my God, you're, you're Glenn Langenberg from the, from the W podcast. Oh my God, thank you. That, that means so much. And I was like, do you want to come on our podcast? Oh my God, can we come on the podcast? And yeah, so there are a number of people that really want to come on the podcast and talk about their research. And oh, one of them awesome. uh, that was really cool too was, again, on Koala Prince. They have this program where they're trying to basically capture latent prints instead of tagging koalas. They're looking oh. for a system to identify them. Because I guess, you know, their population was decimated by recent wildfires and all the problems they've had there. So they're trying to find ways to non-invasively track them. And latent prints, it might be one possible way that they're looking into. So they're building a database of koalas. And my first thought was, ooh, K-Safis for koalas. Koala K-Safis. Koalafis. Koalafis. That would be so awesome. Yeah. Well, they're they're they are definitely collecting known prints and building like a ten print card for the koalas. And then, I mean, they have a eucalyptus diet, so you can imagine that there's lots of amino acids in their diet. So, indendione, indendione worked really great for recovering latent prints from koalas. And they're looking at other methods. Again, you know, when they grab a bunch of leaves, they might leave behind some you know friction ridges, and maybe they can get. Finger latent fingerprints from koalas off of leaves and other things. That oh, off of touch. leaves. I was trying to figure yeah. out what the substrate would be. Yeah, um, leaves. Eucalyptus okay. leaves. Interesting. Yes. 
So yeah, uh, there's a number of people that want to come on the podcast, and I'm going to have to start setting up some of those with the time change. You know, they're for me. They're I think was it 17 hours ahead or so, 19 hours ahead or yeah, something, something like that. It's, yeah, yeah, definitely a a challenge to even you know when I have you know meetings with different colleagues down there. Definitely a challenge to find the right time to to get everyone on the call together. Yes. So anyway, that's that's my Australian trip. The only downside was. It was over Thanksgiving, so I missed Thanksgiving, which I really love, not as much as Halloween, but I do love Thanksgiving, and it it doesn't feel like the holidays yet for me. Missing Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. they don't play holiday music there because it's they don't start till December playing sure. holiday music, and they don't have Black Friday, they don't have Thanksgiving, obviously, and they might have their own, and it's you know summer break for them. It's summer. It's eighty degrees. You know it's. It's the other side of the world, so it's in the other hemisphere. So it just didn't feel like Christmas over there. So I, I, I'm having to find ways to motiv- motivate myself to get into the holiday mood because I miss this very important catalyst, Thanksgiving. Well, let me, let me help, try to help you get into the mood with a little Thanksgiving trivia, something I just learned uh, a few days ago. Ooh. All right. So, Glenn, the Thanksgiving in the U.S., because in Canada, obviously, it's different. When when does Thanksgiving fall? What, what when day? does it fall? What, oh, what day uh, is Thanksgiving? How like do you figure fo- out when the Thanksgiving? Fo- the is? fourth is it the fourth Thursday of the month? Fourth Thursday of sorry of November. Yeah. So did you know that that has not always been the case? No, I did not know that. So the the customary like official custom of Thanksgiving was declared as a general day of Thanksgiving by Abraham Lincoln. And to be observed on the last Thursday in November. Ah, the last Thursday in November. However, Franklin Roosevelt decided that's too late in the season. We need to have it on the second to last Thursday of November. <laughs> okay. And it was a big to-do because all of a sudden he just, the first time he, like, he announced that it was going to change was like in October. So it was like ah. barely a month ago. Hey, everyone, by the way, Thanksgiving is a week early. Wow. And so then it was like a split where some some states and people were doing it on the last, some on the second to last, and it was called Franksgiving as a, you know, trying like making fun of him for for changing it. And huh. then there ended up being like basically a Republican Thanksgiving and a Democrat Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, that no, I had no idea. So then as the compromise to kind of get everyone back on the same day, the compromise was the fourth Thursday of November, because then sometimes it would be the last and sometimes the second to last. Okay. All right. I had no idea. And it was like, wait, what? In the, this is like the late 30s. They're still mm. trying to figure out when Thanksgiving is. Yeah, I, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln Institute. I actually always thought it was Roosevelt because I thought it was a very, I always have this picture of it in the, in the 20th century as mm. a kind of a government uh, like we need to encourage families to get together and buy and be you know and this is a important holiday for communities and such so i always kind of associated that with roosevelt but i didn't realize it goes back to lincoln wow that that's very interesting to me and have they always done turkey too or because that was I, i i thought another roosevelt thing was this modern turkey the, I mean, there's like, I think Roosevelt was like a chicken in every pot was kind of a, mm, mm. you know, it was, it was a, definitely like a Roosevelt kind of saying. Yeah, that sounds, um, that sounds familiar. But I, I don't know. I think that may have been just 
you know, like it had been around. It was, it was more, this is more of just like the official, you know, federal yeah. declaration of the holiday, but it had been going on already for, you know, such a long time. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Eric. Well, the last trip for me was while you were, you know, on the other side of the world in Australia, I had my own long flight over to Paris. Mm. So I was asked by my European colleagues if I could come join them. They actually asked me while we were at the Demia conference in San Antonio, saying, hey, in about a month and a half, do you want to come to Paris? Sure. So there was what's called the Millipole conference. Oh, yeah. So that's a portmanteau of military police. Yep. And holy moly, Glenn, you want to talk about a big conference. This this conference is huge. I mean, five, six, seven times the size of like the vendor hall from an I, you know, a big IAI. Really? Just, there must have been a thousand vendors there. Wow. And you know how like, you know, if you're picturing the vendor hall for like an IAI, right? You got yeah. some big you know, some big companies that come in and they, they do like construction to set up, you know, a booth. Yeah. And then you got some, you know, small players that, that just have a table, you yeah. know, and with the, with Us. a sheet, you know, like, like a podcast, right? Right. <laughs> you know, you got a table, a sheet and a sign and then and hey, a you got a booth. And a Becca. And a Becca. We have a, we have a Becca. Not, none of that. Every single person, you know, booth in there was this kind of like constructed, even, even the smaller ones were, were. There's something set up and constructed constructed there for the conference. And you had, you know, armored vehicles and body armor and dog body armor and guns and tasers and drones and and uniforms and patches and just a whole booth for Velcro. You know, if you need to attach something to something else, <laughs> Velcro's the way to go. Just the the scale of it was incredible. And so main purpose there was to, to show the storm application and user interface to, to any, you know, customers that were coming by from mainly the, you know, the European area, but also, you know, just a lot of the, my European colleagues, you know, that hadn't really got to see it in person, you know, demoed before. So mm -hmm. great opportunity to, to do that. You know, this, this more intuitive design I've been working on for the past few years and got to go to the, the big office building that Ademia has in Paris in the La Defense part of town. Oh yeah. Which is kind of like the West, just West of the main downtown area of Paris. And I know you've been to Paris a few times. Glenn, have you ever been out to La Defense to that part of Paris? It's much more once. like a once. Okay. Yes. Years, years ago. I want you to type something into the Google search here. Type in uh, the thumb of Caesar. Oh, yes. yes. You've seen okay. this? Yes. I had no idea that there is a giant-ass thumb in the middle of this, of this office building area. Not in front of the Idemia building, but just like a couple buildings over. Very close. But no one that I work with has ever mentioned, hey, by the way, you know, there's this giant thumb. It is... It's like uh, bra brass or something, maybe, or like a giant yes, like, bronze statue, maybe. That's the color it is, at least. I'm trying to look at what it's made of. Um, it is 12 meters high and weighs 18 tons. <laughs> I don't remember it being that big, but okay. Wow, that's huge. I, it looks like there may be a few of these across the world. Um, 
in it says in Seoul, Washington, and Koblenz. I've seen the one in Seoul before in a picture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you said there's one in Washington. It doesn't specify state or oh. DC, so uh, we'll have to, have to do some more research here on this one. I don't recall one in in DC or th- the state. Of. No, neither me neither. Now, if you look online, most of the pictures you're going to see are of the nail side of the thumb, but try to keep looking around for the real business end of the thumb because the ridge detail on this thing is really good. I mean, for a 12-meter-tall thumb, it, it shows up really well. Some of the artwork in the hotel I was staying at uh, near the conference center also had a bunch of fingerprints on the wall. So I was just like, all right. Well, I also went to see the Louvre, right? You know, okay, sure, Mona Lisa sure. or whatever. But there's like, you know, all this artwork of fingerprints all over town. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. So I also got to go into the catacombs. Oh, yeah, I love it. That's one of my favorite things to do. Where I took, I think, I took a lot of pictures. <laughs> They're just so cool just seeing all these, just these stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of bones. However, it was a little uncomfortable maneuvering around down there because the catacombs yep. were not built for an Eric-sized person. <laughs> Definitely not. I spent a good portion of that walk just hunched over until, you know, getting to the other end with the staircase back up. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. That sounds like a, a great, like, punctuation to all the travel. You know, something a little more personal, but yet work-related, but still a chance to, like, actually see some sights. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just such a great time to walking around, you know, Paris and, and eating all the food and the wine. And it, it was it was really great. The people are, you know, French have a reputation, but, you know, Everyone I met was just really nice, so it was it was really a great trip. And then a long flight back home, and now Thanksgiving, lots of cooking, and but definitely glad to be back home and don't have a trip planned for a little bit now. So nice, <laughs> looking right. forward to yeah, not traveling for a little bit. Yeah, excellent. Well, Glenn, speaking of trips, do you have any classes uh, scheduled here for uh, the new year? Well, I'm still actually sort of working out my schedule for for 2024. I do have webinars that uh, can be uh, attended through EvolveForensics.com. That's Alice White's website. If you know Alice, she teaches webinars as well as I've been teaching webinars through her company as well. I have a series of those going on right now. And I think in 2024, one of the classes I have on the books is another Practical Answers for challenging questions in the courtroom, and that is going to be in Irvine, California. That's SoCal, the Los Angeles area, and that is, I think, the first week in May, and that's with Carrie Hall and Brendan Max, and that's our courtroom class, three-day courtroom class. So that'll be in the Los Angeles area, early May. Go to ronsmithandassociates.com. Now, I also wanted to mention, and here's probably the best time to say it, as Eric and, and probably many listeners already know, we kind of just want to do a little shout out to Ron Smith, who you know passed away on uh, November thirteenth, I think it was, early ish, mid November ish, yes. yeah, somewhere in there. For me, you know, he was a mentor. He was you know someone who I really looked up to over the years. You know, just all the things I had learned from him, and of course, working for his company. You know, obviously the forensic community, fingerprint community, especially. You know, will I'm sure feel his loss, and there are many stories online about you know what kind of person he was and so forth. So, 
Yes. For those who, if you hadn't heard, yes, obviously a very sad day for, for many people in our, in our community. Yeah. I mean, linking back to a story earlier in the evening, first class I took from him, he called me Napoleon Dynamite that whole week. So. Oh, well, there you go. Full circle. <laughs> exactly. Full circle. Yeah. Very sad to hear. You know, we, if you heard some news, you know, I, I think he, you may have heard that he'd been sick for, you know, uh, off yes. and on for the past few years. But so not completely unexpected, but still a sad day. Yeah, for sure. And especially for those that just saw him, you know, at the yeah. IEI, you know, he was getting around his little scooter. It seemed like he was, you know, on the up and up, but he, 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 a couple steps forward, a couple steps back, a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. This has been going on for a while. So unfortunately, my understanding is he passed away peacefully in his sleep. And I guess that's the best way to go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, with that downer, Eric, what about you? Any classes or training or other things coming up in 2024? Well, Glenn, actually, I've been in talks with an agency to do my exclusion class again. I, I've been working off and on over the past couple of years to kind of put this together through Idemia with more of an APHIS vibe, you know, APHIS being such an important tool of detecting missed IDs, erroneous exclusions. And have done it a couple times for a, an agency overseas, but I've gotten so busy, especially this year, that judging you know, all those Halloween contests, you're just so busy. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that I haven't I've been able to do it here uh, yet. But I keep getting you know some emails that people asking questions, and you know finally it looks like we're going to be able to set this up. So it's still in the initial stages. More details coming. And even a second agency with interest, so hopefully even twice in 24, I'll be able to do that class, full 40-hour class, on-screen comparisons, same topic, but kind of a new a new skin on it from the, this, this APHIS perspective. And also with the new, fingers crossed, Black Box 2 data coming out here soon, even more stuff to talk about. So Yes. In fact, I saw a presentation in Australia. There you go. Uh, from the FBI on exactly the those data. Oh, so so excited for that to finally get published, and we'll we'll definitely talk about it more. For sure. Uh, all right, Glenn. Well, we said it was going to be short. We lied again. It's never short. We just get going and can't help ourselves. But uh, thanks everyone for sticking around here for this catch up episode. If you have any questions for us, Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com or Eric at RayForensics.com. And you can go to our website, DoubleItPodcast.com, for information about the Patreon, merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Uh, episodes posted there. Remember the opinions. Not that we really had a whole lot of opinions this episode, but those are the opinions of the speaker, not necessarily anyone that they work for. And with that, talk to you guys later and talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Have a great week.